Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, conversations with today's top ministry leaders to help you lead better every day. And now podcasting from scenic Colorado Springs, Colorado, here's your host, Jason Day. Hello, friends, and welcome to another insightful episode of the Church Leaders Podcast. I had a great conversation this week with Dr. Julie Slattery on a very important topic, sexuality. Julie is a clinical psychologist and a recognized expert in biblical truth and sexuality. She has spent over 25 years counseling and discipling, and she co-founded Authentic Intimacy, which is a ministry dedicated to teaching God's design for intimacy and sexuality. Her latest book, Rethinking Sexuality, is available July 2018 from Multnomah. In this episode, Julie and I discuss the challenges that pastors face when addressing sexuality and sexual issues. We talk about a biblically grounded theology of sexuality and why it is so important and the value of balancing grace and truth when it comes to these issues of sexuality. Now, Julie shares an incredibly powerful insight about humility that you do not want to miss later in this episode. You're going to want to share this episode with your staff, with ministry leaders. You're going to want to have some dialogue and discussion around this topic, but I don't want to waste any more of our time. Let's jump in as you join me in my conversation with Dr. Julie Slattery. Julie, the topic we're tackling today is one that is so vitally important um, really for the church to address, yet often it seems we struggle with it. And today we are talking about sexuality. And Julie, I just want to thank you for joining us and for your willingness to share your expertise with our listeners. So Julie, welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me on. Yes, Julie. So to begin, you have stated that every sexual question is ultimately a spiritual question. Mm-hmm. And I would imagine that um, each of our listeners would quickly agree. You're just saying, uh, of course, God created male and female. It's obviously spiritual. But Julie, you actually take this much deeper. Uh, you go beyond sort of uh, the surface level remarks that we tend to expect. Can you mm-hmm. dig in a bit for us and talk to us about how questions of sexuality relate to our spirituality? Yeah, absolutely. Um, like you just said, Jason, a lot of people at surface level would acknowledge that. Like Christians would say, I get that. But in reality, what I found in ministering to Christians on issues of sexuality is that a lot of Christians feel like there's this wall between sexual issues and spiritual issues. Um, Like, for example, a lot of churches are not comfortable addressing sexuality um, because they just don't know how it fits in the gospel message or, uh, you know, just the greater call to uh, create disciples. What does that look like? And so... Uh, so a lot of times we have like these compartments, like with 90% of my life, I want to please and honor God, but with some compartments of my life, including sexuality, you know, that's just really personal and uh, I can make personal decisions about my sexuality. And, and so like a good example of that is how few Christian couples will actually regularly pray about their sex life together. Uh, it just seems like weird inviting God into that part of their marriage when in reality, as you mentioned, God created sexuality and he is involved in that aspect of our marriage or our singleness. But, you know, I think to go even deeper with this, it's understanding that that not only are my opinions and actions about sexuality based on my deep beliefs about God, um, but also my sexual experiences impact how I view God. So, for example, 
a lot of the women that I work with have had sexual trauma in their past. And at some level, they, they'll wrestle with, where was God when I was a five-year-old girl being sexually abused? Uh, you know, can I trust him? Uh, or questions like, I, I just don't know if God could really forgive me for what I've done sexually. Uh, and so we find when we're not addressing sexual questions and sexual brokenness, that we're really allowing those lingering doubts and thoughts about the nature of God and our relationship with God. Yeah, that, that makes perfect sense. And I, I love the fact that we, we are able to kind of dig in beyond just kind of those, you know, like we said, those kind of expected answers that we just kind of, you know, give a nod to. Um, but, mm-hmm. but one of the things I think that uh, perhaps pastors, I know uh, as a pastor myself, one of the things that um, perhaps we wrestle with is you, uh, Julie, you have, you've done all the schooling. Um, you've got your doctorate, you're a clinical psychologist. And so we look at that and then we look at the role of a pastor. And sometimes, and I've been in conversations with pastors, you know, they struggle with, uh, you know, well, how much direction or guidance can we give? Uh, mm-hmm. from scripture. So can you talk a little bit about this? Like how, how is it that what we find in scripture really relates directly to talking about sexuality and sexual issues? Yeah, good question. Uh, as you, as a pastor, as you teach through the word of God, the whole counsel of the word of God, uh, you inevitably are going to be confronted with passages that teach very directly about sexual issues. Uh, you know, everything from Examples in the Old Testament of rape and sexual violation, um, David's adultery, uh, the Song of Solomon, uh, the the teaching of Paul and the epistles that talk about sexual immorality and sexual integrity. So there's those obvious passages of scripture that, first of all, I encourage you not to teach around, uh, but to lean into and teach. But I think the more important piece of this is understanding how the nature of our sexuality and how God created our sexuality is reflected in scripture as this really powerful metaphor that's supposed to be teaching us something about God and his covenant love. Uh, and you know, that's, that's something that is hard to teach in one sitting. It's, it's really a theology of sex that comes through as you address all issues related to marriage, commitment, covenant, sexuality, sexual brokenness, Um, But it's really kind of what we see alluded to in the Old Testament prophets uh, when uh, prophets like Ezekiel and Hosea will use very sexual terms to describe spiritual idolatry and the break of God's people, breaking their covenant with God, their faithfulness with God. And as you dig deeper into that whole idea, you start to understand that sexuality from the very beginning was created with this embedded spiritual significance that nobody really talks about. Um, so, you know, that's really become one of my passions over the last several years of, as I've studied this is helping people make the connection of why God cares so much about sexuality and how we steward our sexuality. Can you give us um, just a snapshot? Cause you kind of teed that up a little bit about, you know, that, that covenant and, and the, the tie between spirituality and sexuality. Can you give us just a taste of what you've been studying and what you've been helping teach people? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, Jason, as you look at everything in creation, um, you see through Scripture that, that the Scripture is constantly telling us that every created thing on here on earth has 
some spiritual significance, like uh, something that we can learn about the character of God. So when you read the Psalms, for example, the psalmists are constantly reflecting on natural creation like trees and water and stars and the seasons um, to reflect on God's righteousness, his justice, his faithfulness. Um, and we see that Jesus, when he taught his disciples and he taught the crowds, was constantly using physically created things like vineyards and shepherds and our desire for food and water and bread to teach us about spiritual truths. And this isn't just random. It's God created the earth the way it is physically to reflect spiritual truths. And that same is, uh, thing is true when we look at our relational world, that God didn't randomly just create fathers and mothers. He did so to teach us something about how God is a parent to us, how he's a father to us, how he loves us with a mother's love. Now, I say all that to put it in context. We've got to ask the question, why did God create sexuality the way he did? Um, what's the purpose of our sexuality? If everything in creation has like the spiritual thing to teach us, What's the spiritual thing our sexuality is supposed to teach us? You know, why is sexuality so passionate? Why is it so vulnerable? Uh, why why is it is it embodies so much of who we are as people? Why is it constantly under spiritual attack? And you know, if I, as I've studied this in Scripture, you know, what I've come to learn is that sexuality was created first and foremost not just to have babies, but to teach us about the nature of God's covenant love. Um, that we're drawn into this covenant love, that there's passion involved in this covenant love, and that faithfulness uh, within covenant love is really important. Um, so, you know, one of the things that I talk about in Rethinking Sexuality, just a way of putting this, is that when you think about it, the gospel message is embedded in our sexuality, which again is not something we often talk about, and so it's a new concept for a lot of people. Yeah, that's powerful, and I know in, in your new book, Rethinking Sexuality, you do such a uh, beautiful job, um, Julie, at kind of um, helping us kind of step into that, that covenant language and that, that reality of what that covenant love looks like and how it's reflected in, in sexuality. And, you know, your subtitle to that book is God's Design and Why It Matters, and I think the book throughout hits that right on the head – um, and it goes back to just what you're saying. You know, this is part of God's design, and it speaks to us. It disciples mm-hmm. us. It teaches us. One of the things that you wrote in your book, Rethinking Sexuality, it struck me as being so true. You say that we've been sexually discipled by the world. Well, Julie, why do you think that we as the church kind of let the world take lead on the issue of sexuality? Oh, I think um, it's a tradition that has been passed on probably for generations that um, that really spiritual people just don't talk about sexuality that much. And I think some of it comes from the traditions of dualism and even Gnosticism of, you know, the physical body isn't as important as our spiritual selves. And so, you know, we really endeavor to go after the spiritual instead of redeeming the physical. Um, and you know, there's a lot of theory behind that of why we've adopted this tradition that uh, sexuality and spirituality are more separate instead of connected. But I think that's influenced Christian leaders. It's influenced the conservative church, and it's influenced parents uh, to the point where 
you feel like you're totally uncomfortable talking about sexuality in a discipleship context or a spiritual context, but you have no problem talking about it in a joking way, uh, talking about sexuality the way the world talks about it. Um, so, you know, over time with this tradition that Christians just don't talk that explicitly about sexual things, the world is very happy to talk about these things. And so we're far more comfortable with secular talk related to sexuality than we are spiritual talk related to sexuality. Uh, and that just, I think, has accelerated in the last decade or so as the culture has become more aggressive in tackling these topics. Yeah, and I think what's fascinating when it comes to the church and issues of sexuality is that, in many ways, like you've said, it's just been um, generation after generation after generation. There's been kind of a general avoidance of, mm-hmm. of discussing sexuality, except for... Um, kind of loud voices railing against that which the church thinks is sexually immoral, right? So right. There, so there's this um, a willingness to, to call that stuff out, but but not doesn't seem to have a we don't seem to have a willingness to kind of discuss all of the the rest of it and why we might be calling that out. How do you think the church can better navigate that? Because the world looking in, just sees the church, you know, yelling out certain mm-hmm. things, right? So, mm-hmm. so how do we better navigate that? Yeah, really good question. Uh, you said that the, the world looking in, I think even us sitting in the church um, get a sense of that. Right, um, right. When, I, when, when I go do like seminars or trainings on this, I usually ask, what do you think the Bible talk, teaches about sexuality? Or what did you learn from the church about sexuality? And pretty much people will say, don't have sex until you get married. Uh, when you get married, sex all of a sudden is good. And God hates gay people. Right. Uh, like yeah. that is in a nutshell what people believe the church teaches about sexuality. And hence what God thinks about sexuality, which is is so uh, much a misrepresentation of what's in Scripture. Um, so, you know, I think the big shift that we need to make, we need to make a lot of big shifts, but probably the biggest one is understanding that the world, the culture at large, has a narrative to help us understand the purpose of our sexuality. Uh, it's a narrative rooted in humanism, in individualism, but it, it's a story that helps us make sense of, you know, why might I, I be attracted to women instead of men? Or what do I do if I'm in an unhappy marriage? You know, they tell you what to do with that and how to make sense of it. The church, at best, has given us a list of do's and don'ts uh, that don't involve a narrative. And so when you're looking at that list and it doesn't resonate with your life, um, like, for example, you go to church and you hear you're not supposed to have sex until you get married and you're 32 years old and you have all these sexual desire and you're like, what do I do with this desire? I, I don't fit. You, you tend to then view your sexuality through the cultural narrative. And so, uh, you know, what I, I'm excited about and challenging Christians to do is really embrace a biblical narrative that helps us make sense of sexuality, not just a list of rules that we keep reciting, uh, but push into the larger question. Um, you know, anybody who's had kids, you know that when your kids are like two or three years old, they start asking why. You know, why do I have to eat my broccoli? You know, why... Why did she get a bigger piece of pizza than I did? Uh, you know, all these questions of why. And 
if you're if you're a very busy parent, you might consistently resort to because I told you so. But you're not discipling your kids if everything you say is because I told you so. You have to explain the whys. And when we relate to sexual issues as Christians, so often we're doing a lazy job of just saying, well, because the Bible says so or because God said so, mm-hmm. instead of explaining the why. Uh, you know, what does God do with our sexual brokenness? Where is he in the midst of it? Uh, where is he in our struggle? And why does it matter in the first place? Uh, a narrative does that. And so we've got to switch from a rule-based explanation to really a narrative. I love that, Julia. And I love what you talk about that narrative because um, we know this as, as humans. Um, narrative is what really shapes us as opposed to, like you said, a list of do's and don'ts. Narrative is, is because we are we are storied people, right? So, And it seems like one of the big narratives that, that the world is sharing is this narrative that kind of goes around this idea of being true to ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, especially when it comes to our sexuality. So being true to ourselves, you know, what what is it that we feel? And if we feel it, then that naturally must be right. And, and even in, in, in some Christian circles, some are arguing that God wants us to be true to ourselves. You know, if, if he is the mm-hmm. one who created us and this is how, how we feel. And this is especially in, in issues, as you well know, of sexual identity, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what, what do you say to that um, struggle there between being true to ourselves and, and truly what it means to, to step into sexuality as God designed? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think it starts with realizing that really within the last 20 or 30 years, this whole idea of being true to yourself has evolved because we've really rejected God as a source of truth, mm. uh, as a reliable source of truth, and shifted to a humanistic society where we believe that I within myself can be a source of truth. And um, even if you, you are a committed Christian, you can't underestimate how much of that thinking has permeated how you reason with yourself. Uh, I, I love what... John Wooden once said, you know, John Wooden was this, the famous uh, basketball coach out in California, just a strong, committed Christian. And he said, being true to ourselves doesn't make us people of integrity. Charles Manson was true to himself. And as a result, he rightly is spending the rest of his life in prison. Ultimately, being true to our creator gives us the purest form of integrity. Mm. And um, you know, I think in that quote, he just nails it where Um, We have to understand that if your desire, if you believe that you can find truth by looking inward, you're going to be the unstable person that scripture talks about. You know, who you are today is going to be different than who you are 10 years from now. And this isn't just in sexual identity. It's what if I don't feel in love with my spouse anymore? Mm. And, you know, I need to be true to my own desires. And I feel like I'm lacking integrity if if I act like I'm in love when I'm not anymore, I should find somebody I'm in love with. So this has a lot of application where scripture tells, tells us that you don't find truth by looking inward. Actually, your heart is deceitful and it's wicked. You can't really trust it. What you can trust is the unchanging character of God. Then as we worship him, as we seek him, as we fix our eyes on Jesus, you know, he is uh, the instrument panel that helps us find true north that isn't changing. Uh, whereas my feelings and who I think I am is going to evolve over time. You know, God's character is not changing. 
Um, and so, you know, the call for a Christ follower is to really put our trust in the fact that if I worship who he is, if I worship my creator and strive to live with integrity to him, that's going to get me really further to a place of fulfillment and joy than trying to, to be true to what I feel I want or who I am. Julia, that's so good. I, I, I love that. What about the, the minister, the pastor, um, the, the church leader who says, yes, but whenever we're talking about sexuality, that, that has become such a divisive conversation. You know, so it's, it's almost easier to avoid it, you know, yes. than, yeah. than to address it. So what encouragement would you have for pastors who are wrestling with, I mean, there's so many, so much divisiveness anyway, <laughs> you know, yeah. we're, we're trying to, you know, wrap our arms around, around people. Mm-hmm. And, um, what, what encouragement would you have to the pastor who's struggling with that? Yeah. First of all, I feel your pain. <laughs> you know, I mean, right. I, pastors today and all Christian leaders are in a really difficult spot related to sexuality because it is divisive, but also because we have no models to follow. Um, We're addressing issues and questions and realities that uh, our leaders and our mentors and our parents never had to address. And so, uh, and so at some, some level we feel like we're making it up as we go um, by the power and the wisdom of the Holy spirit, uh, you know, as he leads us into new waters. Um, and it's not just what people think and how divisive it is. We're also dealing with issues of, uh, lawsuits and, you know, what, what is our church policy and would that come back to harm the church? So it's complicated. And my heart goes out to pastors and elders and other leaders who are wrestling with these decisions. But, you know, here would be my encouragement, um, you know, first of all, remember that God's word is always divisive. And um, when we share the gospel and when we share biblical truth, you know, Jesus told us that the world hated him and the world's going to hate us. And uh, don't be surprised, the scripture says, when you're persecuted, when you're rejected because of me. And uh, we need to remind ourselves of that, that if we're fully embraced by the world and the world applies what we're doing, we might have to ask, are we doing something wrong? Because the world isn't supposed to love us mm. if we're being faithful to the word of God. Um, that's just the reality of being a Christ follower. Uh, and, but we need that encouragement and that reminder. Um, but I'd also say that I think one of the reasons sexual issues are so divisive is because we have a problem-solving mentality as we address sexuality. Um, what I mean by that is a church that has never addressed a theology of sexuality will all of a sudden start talking about why gay marriage is wrong or why um, mm-hmm. pornography is such a great evil. And it's max of hypocrisy mm-hmm. um, because now all of a sudden we're talking about this one issue that isolates a few people. Instead, what we have to start with is we have to start by laying the groundwork of what is a holistic theology of sexuality, uh, including how, how are all of us at some level broken, including the pastors, including the leaders? How, are, how do we struggle? Um, because I think when we address just certain problems, we create sort of this us versus them mentality of we've got it right, the world has it wrong. Instead of presenting sexuality through the, the lens of the gospel, which is All of us need God's grace. All of us struggle. All of us know what it is to be sexually broken at some level. Um, So 
you know, that's kind of the model that we use as a ministry. When I, when I go speak on, on these issues, I will never start with things like homosexuality, pornography, sexual abuse. Yeah, I'm always going to spend several hours laying a foundation of the importance and the theology of sex, including sharing some of my own struggles, so that when we get to those practical issues, they're addressed within the context of we're all in the same boat together seeking truth. That's so good. You know, Julie, from from my experience as a pastor and then also as a father, you know, having conversations with my children as they're growing up, talking about how to respect people, recognizing the influence of so many things on our understanding of sexuality, without a doubt— when it comes to difficult sexual issues, one of the greatest challenges um, I find is extending grace but also upholding truth. How, how can we best embrace both as we discuss sexual issues with, with our kids, with our families, with our congregations, and even um, – and we've touched a bit on this – but even with the culture at large so that we mm-hmm. don't come across, like you just said, as you know, kind of hypocrites – um, yeah. When it comes to some of those things, but but how do we embrace both grace and truth in these conversations? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jason, I think some people feel like that's a million dollar question. Um, you know, as individuals or even as whole churches, you feel like you're at this this fork in the road, and you can either be uh, you can be embracing biblical truth on sexuality, or you can be embracing loving other people, and you can't have both. And for some people, this is so personal because they have family members, loved ones that are, that are forcing them. Like, if you love me, then, uh, you'll accept all of who I am. And, Mm. and so this is a real challenge, but as I've wrestled through this as an individual and in ministry, you know, I, I recognize in scripture what the Bible says that Jesus was a man full of both grace and truth and that. As we study his life, he never compromised truth in order to love people well, and he never compromised love in order to honor God's truth well. And so I ask the question, like, how did he do that? You know, how can we learn from Jesus? And um, and Paul tells us how we can be like that in Philippians chapter 2. He says, have the same mind as Christ Jesus had. And in that passage, what Paul is really talking about is Jesus's humility, and, um, you know, as we study the life of Christ, I believe that it was Jesus's humility that empowered him to be both a man full of grace and truth, um, because this is a way of thinking about it. Humility towards God keeps me grounded in truth, um, because humility towards God means that I understand that his ways are higher than my ways, even if his word doesn't seem really relevant today. I'm going to bow my knee and just say, God, I, I revere you. You're the author of right and wrong. Even if I don't understand your ways, I have no right to edit you. And so we revere and reverence God as the authority of right and wrong. We don't try to change his word um, to make it more marketable. Um, so the humility towards God keeps me grounded in truth. Humility towards people keeps me grounded in love. Mm. Because when I'm humble towards people, like Philippians 2 talks about, I don't have an agenda with them. I don't think that I'm better than them. You know, I realize that I'm just as broken as they are, that I need God's grace as much as they do. And I'm not approaching them with this attitude of, hey, I've got something you need and you better shape up or I won't accept you. And, um, and so, you know, I believe Philippians chapter two is really showing us a way 
to strive to become like Jesus, where uh, we fully are obedient to the Father, but we become servants to all people. Um, and and that's how we love, live as people that are, are full of both grace and truth. That's beautiful. I, I love what you what you say there about humility towards God and humility towards people. That's that's so well put. Julie, I was wondering, is there anything as we begin to wind our time down, is there anything, um, perhaps something that we have not touched upon that you definitely want to be sure? I mean, you have the ears of pastors and ministry leaders all over the place right now. Is there anything that that you want to be sure that you'd like to share with pastors and ministry leaders? Mm-hmm. You know, I think the first thing that comes to my heart is just encouragement that that you can do this. Um, you know, I, I understand how pastors have like a million different things that they, they can focus on and everybody in your church has an agenda of what you should talk about more or less. Um, but but I, I really want to encourage you that if we ignore sexual issues, we're really conceding to the larger culture uh, a large piece of what God has called us to. Um, and you have you have people sitting in your church, many people who have sexual trauma in their past, who are addicted to pornography or other forms of sexual expression. Uh, you have broken marriages. You have people struggling with uh, gender and identity issues, and and they're all Christians. And if if you don't address these things and you don't offer help, they'll go somewhere else for help. And so my encouragement would be what, you know, God uses to encourage my heart. You know, whenever God calls his people into new territories like this, you know, he says, you know, be strong and courageous uh, because I'm with you. And I've experienced that as God has called me into this ministry. There are so many times where I feel like I don't have the courage to have the kind of conversations God's calling me to have. But He's with us, and um, we're do- when we're doing His work and ministering to His people, He gives us the resources and the wisdom. So I, am, I just do encourage you, like, not to back away, but to press into uh, into integrating these topics into the ministry God's given you. Julie, thank you so much for that. I, I really sense your heart, which is just a beautiful thing. Um, your heart and, and just the importance of this conversation on sexuality. And the um, the healing and wholeness that it can bring to people's lives, and the opportunity that we have as pastors as ministry leaders to to be a, a part of of what Jesus longs to do in, in that brokenness. So thank you so much for that, and for pastors who are listening, for ministry leaders who are listening, and uh, I, I want to tell you her her newest book. It's called Rethinking Sexuality, God's Design, and Why It Matters. It's available July 2018, and it really, really helps lay out a theology of sexuality presented through the lens of the gospel. Incredibly helpful. Uh, again, this this is an issue that's taking place in amazing ways um, to such a degree, I should say, in our churches and in our cities and our communities. And I, I really want to encourage pastors to— um, to really prayerfully dig in and see how how we can speak into this. So, Julie, I just want to thank you so much for being with us today on the Church Leaders Podcast. Thank you for making time to be with us. Mm, It's been my pleasure. Thanks so much. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us on this week's episode. Every week as we are putting the episodes together, we're thinking of you, our pastors and ministry leaders, and striving to provide insightful and inspiring interviews as you seek to grow as a kingdom leader. 
So we hope you're finding value from the Church Leaders Podcast. And if so, we'd certainly appreciate you taking a few moments to head over to iTunes and leave us a review. Your positive reviews and ratings help other church leaders more easily find our podcasts so they too can benefit from these interviews. Again, we thank you in advance, and if you have any comments, any questions, suggestions, or ideas for guests, I would love to hear from you. You can send me an email to podcast at churchleaders.com, or you can connect with me on Twitter. Finally, you can find this podcast as well as other great faith-based podcasts on the FaithPlay app. It's available for both Apple and Android, and so we encourage you to check that out as well. So until next time, this is Jason Day encouraging you to love well, and lead well. You've been listening to the Church Leaders Podcast. For articles, videos, and free resources that will help you lead better every day, visit our website at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.